0: Welcome back to Animation Deliberation, the podcast where we take action, animation, and cartoons seriously, but not too seriously. On this special episode, we are covering a classic action-animated series. That's right, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, in preparation for the upcoming Masters of the Universe revelation due to drop on Netflix very shortly. All of that right after these ads we have no control over.
1: When it's time to give a truly special gift to that special someone in your life, why not turn to a jeweler you can trust? Solomon Brothers Jewelers is a family-owned business that's earned Atlantis trust for decades with high quality, low prices, and the largest selection. Solomon Brothers has thousands of wedding bands, engagement rings, and loose diamonds in stock. Shop Solomon Brothers online at solomonbrothers.com, solomonbrothers.com, or stop by stores with locations in Buckhead or Alpharetta and experience the best.
0: I am Jay Scotty, Prince of Animation Deliberation, defender of the secrets of Castle Grayskull. This is Cringer, my fearless friend. Fabulous secret powers were revealed to me the day I held aloft my magic sword and said, By the power of Grayskull, I have the power! Cringer became the mighty battle captain, and I became He-Man, the most powerful man in the universe. Only three others share this secret. Our friends. Brian B. Klein. Dale Morris and Zuhair Ali. Together we defend Castle Grayskull from the evil forces of Skeletor. All right. <laughs>
2: At least you didn't go full uh whatever your announcer voice was. <laughs> I didn't go tr-
0: Trenton Trenton Newton on this one. Trenton, yeah because
2: yeah, yeah. I would have been like okay that was the shortest podcast ever. Bernard. Yeah
0: yeah <laughs> change it up on this intro. It is a, a special episode here so I didn't do my usual intro. I did my best John Irwin. I don't know if I hit all the inflection there but he's a uh, he's quite a talent so i'll be lucky if i held a candle to him but that's right i am j scotty st Clair, your host of animation deliberation and with me i have a frequent contributor and a big masters of the universe fan brian v klein welcome back brian how you doing
2: good thanks for having me talking about a show that was my childhood pretty much
0: of course of course very excited to have you here and i have to thank you for bringing in our very special guest he's going to be the resident Expert of all things He Man, and he actually curated the list of classic He Man episodes that we're going to be talking about today. And that's Dale Morris. Dale, thanks for being here. How are you?
3: Uh, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me.
0: Of course, of course. So let's let's just get right into it, guys. Let me let me know, Brian. You kind of kind of led the horse there a little bit, talking about how this was a a show that was near and dear to your childhood. Just tell me what exactly is your guys' exposure to this show and your familiarity with it going into Revelations.
2: Well, for me, this was one of the shows um, that reminds me of my childhood coming home from school because it would air in syndication at like four thirties on Monday through Friday. So you'd get five new episodes a week. There was He-Man, there was GI Joe, there was Transformers, there was Thundercats a little later on. So you'd always have, you know, people don't realize the show was on for two seasons and there's 130 episodes because they had 65 65 episodes a season, but it was only like three months long. But it was five episodes mm. every week, and that was just how. Uh, that's how. It's, I know some places got them a little differently, like the airing. But mine was: I'd come home from school, get a snack, and I'd watch one of these shows. And He Man was one of the the first ones. I think it was the second one that came out after GI Joe, I believe. They all came out around the same time eighty two, eighty three, and it just okay. is, is firmly entrenched in my head as. Growing up, coming home from school, watching these and just getting the toys. Uh, I mean, if you correct me if I'm wrong, Dale, He Man was pretty much the cartoon was designed to sell the toys.
3: Correct. It, it was a, a deal where Mattel went to Filmation and, and said, Hey, we, we've got this toy line we need to promote. Uh, and Filmation said, Yeah, I think we can handle that. Um, but we want it to be more than a 30 minute commercial. We want it to have. Um, some lessons for kids. So they brought in child psychologists to help with some of the storylines and the morals and things. So it was um, while it was trying to, you know, promote something in the toy store, it was also uh, helping bring up your kids, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I came into this series with a lot of preconceptions and a lot of notions about what He-Man was. And I have to say, like, I, it was a show that I did not watch Growing up, I I felt like it was always out there in the ether, always in the zeitgeist. And I thought I knew what He-Man was, but I am really excited to have got to visit this series for the first time and get exposed to it for the first time, especially in preparation for a modern day adaptation like Revelations, because I can understand now why it is so near and dear to so many people. I mean, it is a a kid's show and it's uh, a little formulaic and we'll get into that, but Hmm. it's it really is heartwarming. And it was I was. I noticed the fact that they include a uh, child psychologist in the credits. like that definitely stuck out to me and it is a very heartwarming show and um, just really very imaginative. And uh, it's kind of surprising to hear that. I mean, I I knew that it was based on a toy line, but just given the imaginative nature there, it's it's kind of surprising that it wasn't the other way around. It's It's pretty impressive that they were able to take a product and make such a rich world with it. But I guess that goes to speak to the original toy designs there.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, it was pretty much a thing with all of them was it was based off of obviously the G.I. Joe side of it was the toys were out first and then it came with the comics. And then the the show where this one was, there was literally and it was a lot different than even how it is now. There was times when I go to the store, I'd pick up a toy and they'd be like, oh, I got this character from He-Man. I have no idea who this is. And then like the next day he'd be on the episode and then you'd never see him again. Yeah. It was like they they made it for one thing, but they it, it more of it was that if you didn't have the show, you got a kid's imagination to be able yeah. to decide whatever these stories that you want to have with them is. And so that and it it was basically the show was sort of like just a spark to get the people's the kids imaginations going to have their own stories, but the the show in itself like you were saying is formulaic, but that's how pretty much all of these shows were in the 80s. The sure. bad guys never got like uh Skeletor could be uh captured it in jail. And then the next day, the next episode, he's out for you again. Yeah. Same with Cobra command and Megatron. they never, no, yeah. nothing stuck in those cartoons. Yeah.
0: yeah. You you, yeah. you brought up some names there, Skeletor. So let's just in case we do have somebody listening that doesn't know anything about He-Man or, or the world of Eternity, let's, let's just kind of break it down for them. Dale, can you just give me kind of a description of the series and what a typical episode kind of the, the, the beats there, what, what we could expect.
3: Sure. Uh, So the the title character, He-Man, is your protagonist, most powerful man in the universe. He has Mm -hmm. to have a a nemesis. So uh, a a really important location in the series is Castle Grayskull. And Skeletor is obsessed with uh, getting the power of Grayskull. He basically... He wants to take over someone else's house that he thinks is going to give him greater power than he has right now. Um, Mm -hmm. So in in formation canon, uh, we don't get a lot of of backstory for Skeletor. He's just um, this evil guy who um, is um, the the main uh, antagonist for less than half of the episodes. Um, While he's a very memorable character, um, there's a lot of villain of the week kind of things that made for much more exciting episodes, uh, when they, when Skeletor wasn't there. Uh, but the fun thing about Skeletor is he, he was the one that acted as a leader for a lot of the other main villains who you'd Mm. recognize from the toy line, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of frequent players there. We got off the top of my head. Beastman was definitely a, a frequent player. Merman shows up quite a bit. Trapjaw. Was one of those ones, Brian? You mentioned like getting the the toys. Like Trapjaw just seemed like he was made perfectly with the toy, with like the interchangeable arm that had the mm-hmm. different parts there and whatnot. But uh, let's let's talk also about on the other side of thing, the heroes. Obviously, we have Prince Adam and He Man, but we have you know the other title characters, the Masters of the Universe. Brian uh, can you tell us about some of those guys.
2: Sure, we got Man in Arms, who is pretty much the You know, man at arms, he is the head of the pretty much like the king's militia, for lack of a better term, Uh, his adopted daughter, Tila, who is pretty much the the foil of. Oh, by the way, He-Man and Battle Cat have their alter egos of Prince Adam and Cringer. Right. Which that's the one thing that always stuck with me is that the, they the, the Clark Kent syndrome where it's like, how did they not know that Prince Adam was he man? They don't even yeah. bother changing his hairstyle at all. He looks exactly the same, except for his voice is a little deeper. He's wearing a, less clothes. And because Prince Adam in itself is a big buff guy. It's right. not sure. like he's a scrawny right. kid. But that's you know besides the fact
3: he's Um, a little more tan too. He is is more tan. (laughs) His hair also gets a tan when he when he transforms.
2: Yeah, (laughs) so it it, it swooshes a little bit more. Um, Tila (laughs) is Prince Adam's like uh, foil, I guess. They they are like she's always Prince Adam is a very. Uh, nah, like uh, I'll do what I want, you know. Like he's a very like flippant character, and laxative is not, not, how I would describe. Yeah, him. exactly. Like he's the prince, and he wants to try to make it. Oh, I guess that's that's the reason why people don't associate it with He Man is because he's completely the opposite. And Tila is the one that she's trying to train him with everything, train him in the 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 uh, fighting ways, combat and, and yeah. combat and stuff. And so that's how they have their rapport. Uh, then there's Orko, who is a magician. I don't really know what kind of. He basically is just this, this like three foot tall guy that floats. That's got like a. He looks like a like a Jawa almost. Yeah, uh, a floating that's a good Jawa. Comparison. Yeah. Um, the sorceress, who is the one that is the head of, uh, she inhabits Castle Grey Skull. Uh, she can't leave. She becomes uh, a falcon called Zoar when okay. she leaves Castle Grey Skull because she can't leave in human form. And uh, spoiler alert. She is the actual mother of Tila, which right. we find out early. But then she gets her mind wiped and says, you'll, "We'll we'll tell you about it. You'll you'll know when you need to know." Right. And then I don't know the rest of the series if she ever finds out again. So, um, <laughs> but that's pretty much. I mean, you got King Randor and uh, Queen Marlena, who are Prince Adam's parents. We find yeah. out more about Queen Marlena in an episode in King Randor, and. Sure. Uh, then you get the host of other guys, uh, Stratos and Ram Man, and uh, I'm trying to think of the other ones we've seen in yeah. this episode. I think Stratos popped
0: up in a couple of episodes that we're covering here. Uh, I don't think he had a speaking role in his first appearance, but his design yeah. definitely stuck out to me. But he did get yeah. a speaking role in the second. He's, appearance. Yeah, he's
2: Birdman from uh, Yeah
0: Rick and uh, Morty. Rick and Morty.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, Ram Man obviously is. I mean, he he's the guy that talks like, uh, oh yeah, I'm gonna wrap my head this stuff, you know. Yeah. Boing. <laughs> he's
0: one of those ones that like trap jaw i can just see the toy design right there it's just like you have the spring coil oh yeah and them launching it's just like oh yeah kids are gonna have a
2: blast Locks in one. place he hit the thing he jumps in the air and that's pretty much what he did
0: yeah and then uh, just uh, i guess to give people an idea what like the landscape of eternia is you see in the episodes that we visit here we get to see a, a fair amount of diversity but usually it's kind of set on this like gives me a kind of Lord of the Rings, otherworldly vibes. You can see a lot of mountainous stuff going on in the distance, but it kind of looks like a, a barren wasteland, but there are jungle areas. Obviously there's a lot of bright and vibrant fungal life. We have uh, castle. Gray skull is, is obviously one of the prominent areas. We have the Royal palace where a lot of the episodes open at, and then there's also snake mountain, that's snake mountain, right? For Skeletor Correct. And, Correct. and his cohorts. Yep. Okay. Okay. So, and it's, that was one of the things, I, first of all, just to, you brought up the, the Superman comparisons. That was one thing I I did not expect. So the vibes to be so strong in that regard, like I knew that Prince Adam and He-Man were the, were the same guy, but I didn't know that it was such a, a strong secret. So that was a little surprising to me in that regard, but I, I enjoyed it for the most part. I think it made Adam a little bit more, I think they do a better job with Adam being a a likable and relatable character than some adaptations of Superman, but that's an entirely different conversation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know uh, where you go with that, <laughs> but, but then, uh, the other thing was it's, it does a good job of like, you have this fantasy, almost like Conan, the barbarian vibe with the magic and the swords and the sorcery, but there's a lot of technology mm-hmm. and it's almost like, uh, very futuristic and there's like some star Wars vibes there as well.
2: So it's like the movie Krell almost where there's a lot of technology, but a lot of sword and sorcery because even the sense that the, you show in some of the episodes we watch, you've got almost like a, uh, like a peasant feudal system with some of the the villagers, but yet we've got laser guns and flying is, vehicles and, and stuff like that. So is is that the one with Kevin Sorbo? What's that? Oh, no, the- no, 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 no. That's Hercules. <laughs>
0: Uh, the movie you're talking about crawl
2: is uh it was from the early 80s it's okay. very um um i'm trying to think who was famous that was in it there's a couple of people that have um oh um oh crap i can't think of his name now the voice actor that does um savage Press. yeah who am i talking about? i mean he's clancy he, yeah
1: clancy, oh, brown. clancy brown
2: yeah, yeah. clancy brown's in it it's one of those ones it's it's very uh uh, a combination of like it's it's mysticism with some future stuff and okay okay uh, this one yeah it's very like it's it juxtaposes between the things where it's like yeah you've got some like the one episode where they were uh looking to um where they think uh, the last one where um uh oh no no the one with uh the origin of sorceress everyone in her town was basically wearing like burlap sacks Oh right! Like that was their. That was pretty much their design. It was very minimal, very feudal, sure. you know, middle age. While these guys that are flying around in these, uh, you know, like hovering, flying single man vehicles, yeah. Like, oh, you know, yeah. when you're a kid, you don't think about stuff like that. So, right
3: when when the toy line first came out, uh, the original mini comics that came with Wave One, uh, it was very um, basic as far as you know the the barbarian man leaving his tribe and then there was this evil power but when it came to the filmation series that's when they came up with the, the prince adam and the dual identities okay. uh, and kind of expanded that and brought on just way more uh writers to kind of you know expand the the mythos and uh you know having a whole series bible and everything
0: yeah, yeah. And speaking of the writers, some of the episodes that like you picked out for us are featured some of the early work from writers that would go on to be major players in some of the most, you know, iconic animated series out there. Paul Dini comes to mind for batman the anim- animated series and then also j michael Straczynski did uh, the episode what the origin of the sorceress that brian just just mentioned there yeah and then he right. did
2: babylon 5 but paul Dini is pretty much like the godfather of 80s animation 80s 90s animation in the the genre that you cover he did so many oh it's just it's just like a. a if you want to learn how to do a genre ser- based animated series just you could pick out any 10 Paul Dini episodes. And it's like, this is a masterclass. Yeah. I mean, outside of Batman animated series, that's just, you watch that and you go, holy crap. You know, <laughs> this is a kid show that was on in the nineties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it still holds yeah. up to, it. I just rewatched that not too long ago. And it's like, man. Now,
0: before we dive a little more deeply into the, the individual episodes, I do want to ask you guys, like as you were growing up and watching this show, as it was airing, what characters resonated with you? What were your favorite toys and has that changed as you've you know, been a fan and become an adult or has it stayed the same? Because as I was watching, I was kind of like wondering, I was trying to put myself in that mindset of being a kid. What characters would have probably resonated with me? And it, it's funny. I, I think they probably would have been Skeletor, probably would have been one of my favorites. I'll, I'll be honest. Cringer probably would have been a favorite of mine. And then Orko for sure.
3: No, I I, I think uh, I, I'd agree with you there. You He-Man coming on Battle Cat and, and Skeletor riding, riding on Panthor. Uh, those were always, you know, in, in the mix. Um, mm. Orko uh, was a fun toy because uh, he could spin around. He had like a little top action feature. Uh, mm. Besides being in a lot of episodes and being the the kind of the comic relief in a lot of episodes, he was fun. Uh, as far as other villains go, the, the He-Man toy line had Hordak and members of the Horde, but they weren't okay. actually in the he-man series that that whole storyline and and that villain his characters were all in the shira series which was like a follow up to this uh, okay. so it was kind of funny as far as like knowing who those characters were you could learn from the mini comics but you weren't going to actually see them at all uh in the he-man show proper
2: <laughs> hmm. oh and i remember i had i had to get two or three triclops figures because i would spin the eyes so much <laughs> and the ram mans because they would you know the, the the pressing down and it would just end up breaking them and <laughs> I played with them so much um the one there was some Mossman was cool because mm-hmm. he was a basically a green guy that had felt as a figure it was it was so it it, it had green felt on it his name's uh, Mossman. Moss man. Yeah. Yep. Okay. That's very, funny. yeah. Very uh, descriptive names pretty much.
3: <laughs> yes. Uh, so the, as far as the, uh, the toy goes, it was this exact same sculpt as beast man. He was yep. just painted green and then he was flocked and he smelled like pine saw. So yep. uh, what kid doesn't want to play with a toy that smells like pine saw?
2: That's awesome. <laughs> Probably the kid that wants to play with the other toy that was going to bring up stink or
3: right. Uh, who basically
2: you know looks like it. it had the patchouli smell. <laughs> And he looked like a, a basically like a, a skunk, a same, all the toys pretty much had like the same body style
1: mm-hmm. that
2: over, you know, like a uh, musculature in so them. And using yeah.
0: Using a similar mold and probably just swapping out something for the chess piece. Cause you can see a lot of similarity, even with like the animation, like there's, so what I'll say about the animation is uh I, I wasn't alive at the time that this show came out, but I can obviously go back and watch shows. But I will say the characters themselves are pretty detailed in terms of like the musculature and, and the facial details. They do a good job of, of having a fair amount of detail there. There's not a lot of shading. Actually, I don't think there's any shading whatsoever Mm-mm. on the characters themselves, but the backgrounds are, are absolutely beautiful. And there's a lot of attention to detail there. I do think the action that you do get to see is is pretty fluid and, and, and solid, especially something uh, for that time. But it's kind of funny that you mentioned like the reusing of molds for the toys, because you definitely if you watch enough episodes, you see some of the animations recycled for sure, especially the transformation scene. I mean, oh, it's it, always recycled. but yeah. it, it's yeah. like indelible. It's like part of like I talk about it being formulated, but so full transparency, when I watched the first episode and sat down, I, there was a, a moment where I was like, oh, I don't there might be a little bit of a disconnect for me trying to like go back and watch something from this time but very shortly I, I changed my tune and it's that repetition, like started putting a smile on my face. And when I heard that, like theme song start coming in.
2: And then when I, you see the, you see the episode that has, there's a, there's the, the disco version of the, What's up, the four non blonde song that they use all the He-Man <laughs> coverage. And it's, it's most of it is like from one or two of these episodes. So when you see He-Man doing the thing where it's like he's doing the little dance and it's just the right. it's the animation going back and forth in a bit, and then there's there's other scenes where he's like throwing doing the head throwback. But like what you were saying too, is I have a note on it too, is there was one episode here where he does a transformation. Yep, that's the one right there with him doing the <laughs> the, the 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 J. Scotty standing with the fist down, and then the pose. Um, there's one episode where he transforms from, Pete, from Prince Adam into He-Man while he's falling, oh. and you don't, you don't hear it or you don't see it, you just hear him do it, and then all of a sudden he's He-Man <clears> because every other scene he'd just be standing there with, in front of Castle Grayskull. It's like he can't do that; he's falling. So they, yeah. they, I don't think they've ever. I don't remember them ever seeing a transformation other than the one that they always used the series it was always when he transferred he would always you know do the 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 sword thing pointed at battle cat even if he wasn't like because we get the um how the origin of how he did it for the first time is an accident you know but for the most part that transformation scene was just the same you know there was a lot of recycled um animation i mean it it was it was all 2d don't forget this was at the time when they were doing cells and they were doing the layering and doing the the flip by i mean it's it's the early 80s, so it's still the original animation style.
3: Yeah, as far as, okay. you know, story-wise, with, with He-Man always transforming in the exact same manner, it would be kind of like if Clark Kent always had the same phone booth with him all the time. <laughs> and and yeah. no one picked up on that.
0: <laughs> no. yeah. And then, uh, even in the like set of episodes that we watched, I can't remember which one it was specifically off the top of my head, but we even did get a little bit of a change up where Cringer tried to go around the corner and then he aimed the beam the same way, but you saw the beam kind of bounce, bounce off, off the yeah. corner and then hit him afterwards. I, I appreciated that little change up there, even though it ended up being the same sequence. Ultimately, they just added a little transition yeah. in between.
2: <laughs> and I don't know if they ever really, on that same note, if they ever really explain more of the fact of why Cringer hates being Battle Cat. Cause I mean, he's named Cringer because he, in this, his origin story, he's very Timid, but when he's Battle Cat, he's a badass. It's like I'm almost ready to be the badass man. (laughs) You get bigger. I mean, maybe he doesn't like getting ridden on by uh He Man, but I don't know. Yeah, Yeah, it's still fun.
3: He's wearing a helmet, so he's got he's very confident in his safety. So
2: yeah, well, he's wearing the helmet, so they don't know it's Cringer. Like it's it's blocking his face because there's other there's no other green striped tigers in the whole area. Talking, yeah,
0: yeah. I know. I know, uh, Matthew Fox of the superhero ethics podcast. There's probably the ethical question there of, uh, is Cringer a willing participant to these things and forcing it upon him? Is that, <laughs> well, every time ethical? it happens but... and
2: he's like, Oh no. <laughs> like he, he never, he, I mean, he never brings, I mean, he, can, who's he going to bring it up to though? Cause there's only like three people that know it outside well, he, of it.
3: he's, he's really, you know, think of him more of, you know, like, a a partner with, Prince Prince Adam, because when he's in just as Cringer, you know, Prince Adam's keeping him fed. Um, so, uh, and then, then he's more of a partner when he becomes a Battle Cat. In the Origin of Sorceress episode with, with Stridor, um, mm. that's actually something they address, is this thing that you thought was a mechanical horse. Oh, now um, he's got the ability to think on his own, and he's saying he wants freedom. And right. And so... They they decide right away. You know what? Give this guy his freedom. It's not right for us to to hold him down.
2: And I guess in my mind when I see that and I thought of it too is you got to think that Cringer is on the side going. That's an option. Yeah like what
1: <laughs> come on and then like you said he's like oh
2: i guess it's true that i don't i don't want to yeah. be in the wild because i get fatted i get the he seems like he's when he's cringer he's sleeping like 90 percent of the time anyway so right you know, to, to, his, to, this.
0: to his credit he steps up to the plate at least a, a couple of times i know there was one instance where he said something to the effect of you better point that sword quick before i change my mind
2: yeah <laughs> i mean he's a great kid, he's, he's very much there's a lot of comic relief him and Orco in this show but it's not like to their detriment it's just their they're their strong characters they're important characters um not as much as like that one episode where they pretty much crapped all over beast man where it was just like when they, <laughs> when they exile him at the beginning i'm watching i'm like i totally forgot about this that it was i forgot exactly why he ban he banished skeletor banishes beast man for like messing up one too many times it's like you had to banish everybody then.
3: Right. It's not even for a specific thing because the other henchmen are like, What did he do? And Tricolops is like, Meh, I don't know. I, I think I think he's, you know, says has a line like, "Oh, Skeletor is just tired of getting his butt kicked by He-Man, so he's having a bad day. So Yeah, he's he, taking he's it, it out on beast, man. And <laughs> yeah. I love
2: that episode. That was the one where um they capture uh King Randor and they bring him yes. back and Merman was the only one left at uh Snake Mountain. And they're like, Yeah, Skeletor's in space like really <laughs> these guys it's again they're space we knew they're they're spacefaring people because that's how we learn about queen marlena's backstory with her being a human astronaut that crash lands there and just stays but it's just like just typical Skeletor's not there well, what's he doing no he's on a space mission
0: yeah like
3: yeah. okay sure it is what it is
0: the other big through line of that episode in particular that you you bring up and dale i have to imagine it's it's one of the reasons that you pick this episode in particular and on the character of he-man and prince adam we did talk about normally he's doing his best to kind of keep up this facade that he's just kind of this a little bit of an airheaded, lazy kind of guy he means well but he's late to things and usually not where he's supposed to be but in this episode you kind of find him yearning for his father's approval and he actually hesitates. He doesn't call upon the power of Grey's Soul when he's supposed to, and that's what allows King—it's King Randor, right?
2: Yeah, King Randor. Yeah,
0: King Randor to be captured by Beastman in in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, I I definitely appreciated that aspect and getting a little more. Nuance to the the character Prince Adam, and it definitely helped me endear me to that side of He Man as well. Yeah, so. I
3: uh, and it's something that they've done in different forms of media too, like further animation or or comics or um, comic strips, uh, where they've you know use use Prince Adam in a way that he can't transform or he doesn't want to reveal his secret identity to protect his his friends and family. Um, so it's. Um, you can get some interesting story ideas out of that concept.
0: Certainly. Certainly. When we were talking about Stridor as well, and just the subject of like re- respecting a living creature, I it, I couldn't help but re- also be reminded of one of the standout episodes for me, which was the dragon's gift, mm-hmm. which uh, pr- presented a nice moral dilemma. And again, gave, you know, He-Man the opportunity to, showcase a little more of his character and that it doesn't always have to result to violence and that he found a way to not only save the living creature, which was the sky tree, but also honor his deal with the dragon. Grinna, Grinna
3: mirror, Grinna
0: okay.
2: He shows up again in the shows. Um Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that was one thing about it too is that the the moral lessons in the show. Well, sometimes we're at the end of it; it could be sometimes heavy-handed. This one was violence isn't always the answer. And at the end of the day, Granumere, the one that gave him the, uh, uh, said, "I need you to basically kill this guy." So this tree, because that makes Granumere the oldest person on or oldest living thing on uh, Eternia. When he comes back, he says he couldn't do it. He goes, "Okay, I respect how much humans have evolved." To be able to use that as an option instead of using it as violence, so you know your quest is still fulfilled. So you know it's it's always not the brute brute force, which is what he man's you know that's his mo. It's he decided that no, I can't take a living thing just to save, and it was to save another. It was to save Bandit Arms, so he needed to get the spell. Grandeur was the only one that would be able to give him the. the spell to re he got fro, uh, it seems like a lot of these things where the bag it's basically they either send the heroes to another dimension or they freeze them in stone <laughs> or ice or something that's just a way to get them out of the picture instead of just sending them on a fool's quest or something it's like nope we're going to turn them into stone and you yeah. have X we, we don't of time want to,
3: to animate them. too many characters in this scene so someone's got to get put on the sidelines
2: yeah or get sent to another like they get sent to another dimension and then uh, he man and goes to save them. They get sent to the other dimension too. It's like, oh crap. Now who's left Tila. Okay. This is her story now, (laughs) but it ends up being a good, I mean, a good um, way to isolate. I think this was one of the earlier shows too, that sort of had a, uh, a strong female, like Tila's character was a strong female, not she was driven, but wasn't for lack of a better word, bitchy. Like you always think yeah. that people that are are strong headed women can come across as being bitchy, but she was like, no, she wanted her stuff done. She did it a certain way. She wouldn't um, take crap from anyone else, and she, you know she was pretty much almost like a male character at that time that a female had uh, they, they used instead, and it worked. And. Uh, I always, get, I always liked that about that aspect, too, where it wasn't always, like, the damsel in distress. There was times when they needed to be saved, but there was also times where she needed to save He-Man, too. So, works yeah. both ways. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's a great point you bring up, and I'm glad we I'm glad you bring up the character, T- Tila, because we spent two episodes in particular with these curated episodes that focus pretty heavily on her. And the first one was Tila's quest, in which we learn, you know, her parentage being the sorceress and whatnot, but it is one of those first opportunities that we see she's not i don't want to say that she's forbidden or anything like that but she is warned against going out to the crystal seas but she decides to do it anyway so she is very headstrong but like you said she's not an unlikable headstrong she's a very likable and capable character there are times where she gets taken out a little bit easy to kind of set up he-man for that that moment but i mean it's it's called he-man and the masters of the universe everybody wants that that moment where he-man has his moment but I do think it's a a little of the time and and maybe it's not the fact that she's a a female character per se. I wonder how much the fact that it's like a kid's show and and maybe they're trying to reinforce a message there. But I don't know if it's necessarily a good message. But with the whole Tila's quest thing, it's like, why can't she know that she's destined to be the sorceress? It just seems like just a little bit of a weird thing to be like we'll tell you for right now, but you have to forget until a later time and you just have to trust me on this. And it kind of feels like, like that's the parent in the room. It's like, listen to your parents. What they say, doesn't always make sense, but you should listen to what they say anyway, because it will make sense to you one day.
3: Right. It's almost (laughs) as if, um, and and, and Tila and Adam are supposed to be on, on the younger side, like late teens, Tila's maybe early twenties still. Okay. So it, while it kind of seems like she's ready for the hero's journey, um it it the, the series kind of sets it up that hey, we we need her not to be in charge of things yet. She's she's a captain on the Royal Guard, but um we don't want her story to get too big and move on to becoming the sorceress quite yet. <laughs> sure,
0: sure. That's fair. That's totally fair. And then yeah, I I guess I didn't realize how young they were supposed to be. Early 20s makes sense to me because we did get the one flashback when we got battle cats origin, I believe is when we got to see a younger version of Adam as well. And I did notice that basically John Irwin is just basically he goes from he-man to Adam, to younger Adam. He just like his voice gets a little higher and a little naslier for every version.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was kind of uh you could just tell it's like a, an adult trying to sound like a kid. Like yet yeah, we know yeah. it's the same voice actor, but it's, it, it works. It would be yeah. it would be different if he would have been like uh, that episode, <laughs> the episode of the Bad Batch, the first episode this season, where um, Freddie Prince voices Caleb, and he oh. has the same voice as a twelve year old as he does as a thirty year old. It's like that oh, sounded yeah, yeah. weird. Right. Like a twelve year old twelve <laughs> year old's not supposed to sound like this, you know. So, um, yeah, it's the besides him being he, yeah with Prince Adam, he's pretty much just a little higher and whinier, and then with the kid, it was just like you know, him trying to be a kid. So. Uh, Another one of my
0: favorite episodes that we focused on here was the, the double-edged sword in which I guess. So I I did watch the, the additional episode, the house of Shikoti. Yeah. Okay, I feel like I feel like Ram Man having a hard time. I want to say Shapoopy or something like that <laughs> instead of the actual instead yeah. of the actual name. But um in that episode yep. as well, we got the the character of Stanley. So I, I'm assuming, given the fact that it's a kid's show, it was probably like a recurring thing that sometimes they would have this like stand-in child character that participated in the proceedings as well. But that was very much a part of uh, this episode, the double edged sword as well. And we were just kind of talking about how a lot of times the show moves away from the violence. But this was kind of one of my favorite ones where we actually did kind of get to see He-Man go all out against one of his nemesis nemesis nemesis, And that's when um Trapjaw got to eat the Eternium and, and get really powerful for a little bit and get to go toe-to-toe with with He-Man. I I really appreciate that and I also like that aspect of getting a little bit more of the world of Eternium and getting to see some of the other residents as in such uh what well, the kid the kid's name was Chad and I don't think his grandpa was given a name but
2: No but like you said right. with that being an episode where there's that much fighting between the two of them it was an anti-violence episode Exactly exactly right. where the grandfather was just like no I'm not going to you know he, he he's not going to shoot somebody
3: mm-hmm.
2: So uh because of what happened in the war or in the when he was in the army so Right it's like a, there's the name of the show or the name of the episode double Edged yeah. sword exactly violence exactly. is used here because you have to because it was just like and on top of that too you've got such a serious aspect of that with trap jaw going oh my god i could turn it into this powerful thing but then you also got uh what was the thing's name the furby burby oh, uh, burby yes the burby eats the Eternium and he gets sick and he gets his it's just like this little furball oh so then they take it it's like so you, you got it's such a dichotomy of like goofiness and seriousness but that's what a lot of the show was too so y- yes
3: you are right on on the goofiness because uh some of Chad's lines there are just you know watching it as an adult are like this is this is really cheese ball <laughs> you know it's so, but, oh i think he's dying <laughs> <laughs> like no shit
2: kid he is eight eternium this little rock that's going to power the whole planet right. for centuries this a little animal eats some you know, yeah, you'd think he'd be sick. It's like it'd be pretty much like eating like a like a plutonium rod or something.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that, that that's a good one because yeah, you get to see Merman, but all, really, yeah, trap jaw kind of going toe to toe with He-Man. Uh and then uh you, you touched on, on the sword. So the action figure, you know, He-Man had his sword, he had his shield, but you'll notice in this entire series, you can go through all 130 episodes. He-Man's sword, he does not like swing it like a traditional sword he uses it as a shield it's always like in defense you know and i think other um franchises that had a similar thing you know when superman goes into a fight he usually knows he's the toughest guy in the fight he doesn't sure. have to bring his a game he can just play defense for the most part
2: certainly certainly yeah, not that's, that's a great point yeah the one did you see mostly doing all the fighting is uh Tila Mm-hmm. I mean, Tila's using her sword. I mean, she's pretty much like the aggressor in a sense. And they've actually had for the time, too, there was some uh, sh- shots with her fighting, especially where they had a couple overhead shots with it. And it was like, it was a really weird design. I remember as a kid going like, that's a weird shot. And now you realize it's such a an innovative style, even though the animation of the fighting was kind of like, almost like action figures playing with each other doing it. It yeah. was kind of blocky, but it was still a cool shot. And it was just the sense that this is the main female protagonist as far as like on the action side is doing the the, the fighting like that.
0: Yeah. Usually what I, I I feel like those sword fights, they were they're were really well done as far as the anatomy and the accuracy there goes. But that was another one of those ones where I felt like I started getting used to seeing especially Teela's particular parries. Cause I think she did that against man at arms in a training sequence as well as Prince Adam. And then maybe one other character, but uh, it's, it's still really well done. So I appreciate hmm. that. Uh, with that in mind, you guys, sh- should we talk a little bit about man at arms? I feel like he's kind of been in the, in the background of a lot of the things we talked about. But we haven't talked about him too much. I mean, he's not only is he Teela's adopted father, but he's, you know, uh, basically for a, a, a lot of the, intros to the episode he's kind of the foil to orko and kind of gives you an idea of what to expect as far as the moral lesson there's going to be i mean the, the very first episode we watched the the diamond ray of disappearance you get the whole egg gag
2: where he winds up with the the egg on his face and i just i just give him crap because he doesn't know how to He he's a really good inventor and in the okay. lab but just put a lock on the door because that will keep Orco <laughs> out probably or at least no, because every, I told you not to go in my lab. and He goes right. to the lab and something happens. Just get him his own lab with like a junior set or something like that or like a safety set. Yeah. I mean, Orko knows It's just always just like because the one time he's I forgot what he was making and a man in arms comes in and he's like, well, that's poisonous and that's explosive. I don't know what <laughs> the hell you're doing, but why are you doing this? get out of my lab
3: right and then they just walk away and they're like well i told them not to touch anything else so he's probably gonna listen
2: yeah and then explosion
3: <laughs> yeah yep. but like um, i said
2: it's the comic relief yeah man in arms is a good character because he is sort of the uh it seems like he's used more than not as the guy that's getting frozen or you know <laughs> turned into stone or something like that but he is the you know the the i mean he's the head of the royal guard right
3: yeah, and um and he's also a part of that, you know, very small group that's that's in on the secret. You know, it's only um supposed to be Man-at-Arms, Orko and the Sorceress that know about He-Man's double identity. So, um they use they use him a lot because he he knows what's maybe going through He-Man's mind uh, and helping steer his decisions when he's both He-Man and uh when he's as Prince Adam.
2: And yeah, he's also one sure. of the only ones that knows because he was the one that, what he was the one that found and rescued Tila from uh, why he's why he's her adoptive father from right. the episode. Why he so he knows that Tila's the sorceress's daughter too, and so there's only a few people in the Eternia that know that as well. Seems like yeah. it's the same people that know that He Man is uh, <laughs> Prince Adam too. So it's right. pretty much the same brain trust. You get rid but, of those, and no one's going to know anything.
3: Yeah, it's it's that one percent. <laughs> It's yeah, a, it happens yeah. on attorney.
0: He doesn't really take credit for it, but he's also pretty <laughs> integral to Cringer's recovery initially. You know, in, in terms of providing the medical care there, he says it's it's Adams' care and attention that helps him pull through in the long run. But there are a lot of people in attorney that are indebted to to Master at Arms, and yeah. uh, he's got the best mustache in attorney as
3: well. <laughs> well so, to, Tom like animated,
2: <laughs> but and pretty much too. Where it's just like when they were talking with Granamir where he mentions man at arms and he's like, oh yeah, there's always a man at arms. It's like a title, but it's also like, it's like, what's his name? Like Joe or Duncan. uh, Oh, that's right. It's Duncan. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh which
0: made me think of Duncan, Idaho having recently read Dune.
2: I think as a kid, (laughs) Uh, I always reminded me of Duncan. um, Yo-yos. Oh, okay. Because Duncan was the big yo-yo company back then. And back in the eighties, yo-yos were like yo-yos, Rubik's cubes. Okay. Uh, that type of stuff. So you didn't know that many Duncan's
0: yeah. not to diverge too much, but my mind goes to Duncan's toy chest from home alone Two: lost in New York.
3: Oh, yeah. I would just think of Duncan Hines Brownies. So <laughs>
2: Duncan Hines, Duncan donuts, Duncan, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. These were good. And again, that you had mentioned it, Dale, this was a great set of 10 to Pick from over the whole series because it gives you a not well, not to bear the lead. That okay, so the last episode we watched, the problem with power. Sure. Talk about a as a kid, a heavy episode. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty much they fake a death and they make He-Man thinks that he killed someone on accident when he pulls when he uses his power. And it's just like he gets so distraught that he just throws the sword away and he's like, I'm done. It's like holy crap it's like that's a lot to throw on a 10 year old kid watching this and even as an adult it's just like he's taking it like i took a life when i didn't need to and then it still had the funny things too where they yeah Orco sees them do it he's trying to tell uh go to, back to tell adam and skeletor traps or like uh kidnaps him and puts him in a cell and then after like 10 minutes he goes I can't make the cell smaller, but I can make myself smaller. And he makes himself smaller and then he just escapes. Like, why does it like a lot of times when you're watching these movies and they're like, I can't escape this thing. It's like, there's two feet between the bars. Just go between the bar. there's <laughs> yeah, you
3: know? a lot of room. <laughs>
2: there's a lot of room in there. And plus that it also has probably the, the best uh, ending when they're walking away in the sunset. And he's carrying mm. Tila and she's like, you can put me down. And he's like, well, uh, you never know, you know, uh, it, it's just the, the di- banter between them literally like walking into the sunset it is hilarious. Yeah, yeah that was And great.
3: that's about as, as romantic or as, as far as those two characters story got up until just within the last 10 years, DC comics, you know, kind of gave them a little further story where they end up as king and queen and, king and and queen. That's also the sorceress. Um, That doesn't happen until much later, but as far as filmation goes, that was like a very natural ending to that series. You know, He-Man and Tila walking off into the sunset together, finally.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, it was nice to get a a little bit of Mm -hmm. development there, even if it was very very uh what's the word i'm looking for innocent it's innocent as it it should be
2: it's platonic as well it's very much that they it's they they basically grew up together yeah you know in this state we're always around each other um i don't remember which and by the way this is the third major series i'm not counting the new adventures but they did a reboot in what 2000
0: okay yeah i know there was a series in the 2000s and that
2: was excellent Man, they were two seasons, and from what I heard, what was supposed to happen in the third season, it was like, bring it on, and then they canceled the show. Right. Oh, Man, geez. it was just so good. I mean, it, it's a lot more adult animation, and it looks a lot less like... I mean, I'm excited for this studio house that's doing Revelations because uh they did Castlevania, and Castlevania's mm. animation is fantastic. Yeah. So that's uh, what I'm, this I'm looking is, uh, forward to. Yeah.
0: This this is kind of a good opportunity to go ahead and like transition to expectations for the upcoming series. And uh, Dale, whenever you want to kind of like jump in here, the episodes that you did pick out, one of the things that kind of struck me as much as like Skeletor is toted as the, the big bad of, you know, masters of the universe, we did get introduced to a a, a lot of additional villains. I mean, outside of his usual crew of, of Merman and trap jaw and, and beast man, there was uh, Morgoth appeared in the origin of the sorceress. I wonder if that's a character we can expect to appear in any of the, you know, new adaptations or iterations as well as uh, the wizard's name that is, is, escaping me. But the one episode that we got, Eilina or Alina, a friend in need. Jarry. Like again, is it, you, you pick that character because that was her one and only appearance in the series. Is that because you expect it's, it's someone that could make a return or is that someone that was a popular toy or,
3: no, that was a I, was was a one off character, um, and that was like the the anti drug episode. Um, but in the new okay. uh, series, um, Eilina, uh was a character that was on the very initial cast list. So when we first got the, the, the cast list with all these all these different characters that are going to be on it, um, okay. Eilina, um was one of them that's going to be on there, and she's being played by Kevin Smith's daughter. Uh, oh, I don't right know on. if it's just going to be a one-off or oh, if that's the case, be
2: it's going to it, be, she'll be in it for probably like a second. Right. Just so she can have a credit with some of her stuff. You know, it's uh, that's, it seems like what he does. I mean, I'm sure that's like, cause Jason Muse is playing Stinkor, Stinkor. I think. Yep. So I'm sure he'll be in it for a second because I can't imagine Jason Mewes doing a voice other than his own for Stinkor. And that kind of is weird in my head. Listening to what stink or sound like, just going snoochy-boochy. <laughs> you know that just doesn't <laughs>
3: doesn't fit. You know,
2: no, yeah. I mean it, it's going to be hard to, to put any expectations to this show because we're uh, the, we're only getting five episodes as a drop, mm. so it's going to go by quick, mm-hmm. you know. But if it's anything like the Transformer series, you can get a lot done in five and six episodes. Sure. It's Do we? Dense
0: do me. we? Do we know the length of these episodes? Has that been? Information that's been provided to us.
2: I would assume it's probably like in the twenty-four to twenty-six minute range each. Okay, I mean, I could it be wrong. To they be... I know Wait. the first the first season's ten episodes. They're splitting it into fives. Okay, you know, who knows? I've learned without anything lately with Marvel to temper temper your expectations, Uh, because not that Marvel. It's just that you, you you don't speculate too much because it just seems like that could get you more heartbroken than happy uh it's fun to speculate <laughs> yeah. sometimes but don't put all your eggs in it saying oh i want to see this it, it is daunting though when you have a five episode series and you do see the cast list and you do see the animations for this many characters it's right like, but then it could just be like it's a scene like you can't see it here on the um it's an audio podcast but like dale's backdrop it could just be these guys standing there you see Merman, you see Beastman, you see Trapjaw, you see Roboto, you see whoever, they might not be in the show. They've got a person voicing them and it could just be in the background going like, yeah, Skelly God, that's what I want you to hear. You know, something like <laughs> that. It, It's, you know, SAG has them on the payroll for that. since They said something.
3: Yeah. I, I guess the nice thing about it being a, a streaming series and not debuting on uh, traditional channels is they're not going to be limited to that 22 minute thing. So like we've seen with a lot of things on, say, Disney Plus, uh, you know, Marvel and Star Wars shows, if it takes them forty-eight minutes to tell the story, maybe they're going to use forty-eight minutes to tell the first chapter. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now, uh, this new uh, series, Revelations, looks to have a pretty star-studded voice cast here. I want to ask you guys: Is there a particular? performer you're you're excited to to hear their rendition of a of a classic character. I mean Mark Hamill as Skeletor is is obviously a stand out there, but I'm looking at uh Chris Wood. He has pretty big shoes to fill there in terms of what John Irwin did. And my familiarity with Chris Wood is uh, I know he he has he's worked with Kevin Smith uh mm-hmm. because Kevin Smith worked on the CWDC side of things with Supergirl and uh Chris Wood played the Superboy mon l on on a couple of seasons of that Hmm. so i think he's a good choice based on the limited exposure I, i have
2: to him i could say this for myself masters of the universe probably has the least amount of um needing to be faithful skeletor in itself you have to have a skeletor have a certain cadence a certain sound to his voice Prince Adam, King Randall, everything. It's not like with me where like if I hear, if I'm watching Transformers, I want to hear Peter Cullen do an Optimus Prime. I want to hear Mm -hmm. Starscream sound a certain way. I want to hear Megatron sound a certain way. With this, He Man can almost pretty much. He doesn't have to have that exact same '80s sound to the voice, but he can't be like all of a sudden, you know, having a French accent or speaking, uh, you know, Pig Latin or something. I don't know. Sure, sure. doesn't have as much, but Skeletor is the only one. It sort of has a, as far as my mind goes, a distinguished, or even like maybe Merman with the little, like a warbling, like he's talking underwater sound. Sure. Other than that, it's just like, if they do a good performance, it's fine. Okay.
3: okay. Yeah. You know. I, I, I'm really looking forward to um, Mark Hamill's take on Skeletor. Um, I, I think that'll, that'll be pr- pretty interesting um, and the original voice actor Alan Oppenheimer, who, who was Skeletor, Man-at-Arms, Cringer, you know, full range, well, he's up there in, in years now, so he's going to be Moss Man, but we don't know nice. how big of a role Moss Man is going to have, but, um, you know, perhaps uh, the voice work for Skeletor would have been too much for him to take on, so I'm, I'm, I'm very welcome to uh, Mark Hamill and, and, and hearing, hearing his take on, on the character, I guess um with with a lot of them um it 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 doesn't really matter to me you know as far as um y- you know you mentioned Jason Mewes playing Stinkor or Tony Todd is playing Scareglow that's that's neat but um I, I i think it's just neat to to see more characters um this series um is not called He-Man it's called Masters of the Universe Revelation because i right. think we're going to really delve into some of these side characters Um, So Netflix is also putting out uh, a separate series called He-Man, which is going to be aimed at a younger audience, which I feel that's going to focus more on the one most powerful dude uh, versus this, you know, we might be able to put He-Man in the background for a few episodes and really dig into some of these other characters that have been around uh, for almost 40 years.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I've heard almost that Tila is going to be the focus on the first like five episodes. Like she'll be the main character that's focused on for the ones we see uh coming up in a couple of days here.
3: Yeah. So yeah, having um Sarah Michelle geller as, as Tila and then uh, uh Liam Cunningham as Man at Arms, like that that should be an interesting combination there, you know, both very good um actors uh in live action. Mm-hmm. Let let's see let's see what they do with the animation, I guess, and the voice acting.
0: Yeah. Definitely. From the the trailer we've seen, I I think it looks pretty good. And Kevin Smith has been pretty vocal as as far as he's allowed to in, in terms of what he's allowed to share. But he definitely sounds pretty excited about it. I think it's in good hands. And <laughs> it seems like the initial... Oh, is there some...
2: I'm just joking because I love Kevin Smith. He's one of my uh, favorite okay. guys. He's... Yeah. I, seriously. Mm-hmm. But he gets excited about everything. That's fair. Mm-hmm. That is fair. He gets... Like, he sees... <laughs> I saw this and I cried and then there's like, <laughs> okay, you're starting to lose some of your credibility here. Jokingly. I mean, I listened to Batman beyond and, uh, you know, just listened to, I followed his career. I, I saw clerks original clerks in the theaters when it was out and I sort of fell in love with him. but that's almost in the same sense was with me too. He has my sensibility where I find it hard sometimes to not like, if I, if I don't like something, you may not hear me talk about it. Cause I just don't talk about it. Same here, you know, yeah. except for if it's something like the fact that we'll judge, like the, they never made a last airbender movie. They never made a dark tower movie. <laughs> Those don't exist. <laughs> but you know, other than that, it's just like, okay, I, I tend to find enjoyment with what I uh, see. And I'm, I'm so excited about this though, because I just think that there's just too much talent across the board that if it was crap, that it would have been stopped way before it got to a certain point in production they're not they're not yeah. taking this it, it's like you got one shot to do this and you're gonna knock it out of the park
3: yeah you know? I, I i think um the way that they they introduced it uh two years ago at PowerCon, um like a couple of days before the con they said, oh, Kevin Smith's going to be there for a panel. He's going to be interviewing Rob David. And it was like, well, that's kind of interesting that they're bringing in such a big name just to, you know, be there for interviewing for, for one panel. Uh, and then their panel kind of delved into the announcement of this series. And the room just erupted. It was, you know, um, definitely a, a highlight for me at at, at that con, you know, uh, seeing them there and and what a, what a big announcement that was at the time. Um, what more could you ask for? Uh, outside of a live action movie, which is never going to happen. It's been in development gotcha. hell for 20 years, but we're finally getting this, this series. Uh, so it, I, I think it's really going to be exciting to see uh, a new take on, on this universe, on, on these characters. And um, you know, if, if human isn't featured all that much, that that's fine. Like they really went out and got, what you could consider like a dream cast with all these a-list actors uh in the show it, it's uh it's really really exciting i i i have a feeling the reaction to this there's there's going to be some negative reaction there's going to be some people that this isn't my he-man um, mm-hmm. but i think you it's going to go talent. over it, it's going to go over a lot better than netflix Shira series because the target audience is that longtime fan is is the adult animation viewer it's not aimed at younger audience i guess
2: oh no like i said they went with that castlevania style which is very adult r-rated animation with just that style so when they made it that it's not going to be your cutesy you know haha type stuff i, I i'm pretty sure they still have that, those same elements as they've had always where it's the 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 humor and the goofiness balances out with the seriousness they're not going to make this into this you know, like uh Lord of the Rings, epic. But well, even in Lord of the Rings, there's comic relief in that too, though. So, sure, um, I don't think they're gonna. You're not gonna mess with the formula, especially when I mean, if you got a franchise that has their own conventions, you don't sit there and try and reinvent it. You know, yeah. it's just like you don't put him in space. Oh wait, that was the new adventures that he made,
3: right? <laughs> uh, so, so yeah. Uh, in, in preparation for this, you know, we we talked about. Just just watching some filmation uh, the original filmation series, which was one hundred and thirty episodes, what yep. you need to do to kind of prepare yourself for this new series as far as this new series goes um, you don't you don't need to watch new adventures uh, those sixty out of those sixty five episodes there's really only a handful that um, I would say are are good episodes um, and the animation style uh, and the writing was just so different compared to the filmation series uh, and by the it, way
2: just to clarify just to clarify the new adventures of he-man it was the one that came out like in the late 80s and it was pretty yep. it was pretty much he-man in space yep. that's not the show we were talking about that came out in the 2000s the 2000s one was a, another sword and yeah. sorcery that,
3: that was uh um, mike young productions uh 2002 and it was kind of like a, a a reboot you know it was telling okay. the origin story again uh and and adding more to to the mythos of of that world um but i i I think the new series is going to kind of be a combination um because what we've already seen from um the the prequel comic that's come out is they're gonna they're not sticking to just the filmation canon they're going to take in a little bit more of of how that universe has expanded over the the years since then
0: very good very good well, Dale, I have to thank you for you know curating these episodes for us. Like I said, I had some ideas and and thoughts about what I I thought He Man and the Masters of the Universe was, and I was I wasn't completely off base, but I was I was pretty pleasantly surprised in a lot of regards. So I, I do thank you for uh, sharing your knowledge with us. And with that in mind, was there? Anything else you thought people out there should know about these particular episodes that you, you picked, or a little, or the comic series you talked about at all?
3: Um, I don't think so. So, okay. uh, as far as these these being essential, they're they're probably not the top ten highest rated or most popular with fans. But but I think. Um, they're going to they're going to help put you in this universe and prepare you for the show uh the new series the best i guess so yeah. so, so like the episode with uh with ilena um a friend in need it's probably not going to be your favorite episode but it sure is memorable i guess yeah
0: <laughs> well i've i've got it up here let's just uh run down um the list of episodes that we've been talking so if anybody has been listening and you know uh, whether or not he Man and the Masters of the Universe is near and dear to your heart, or you kind of went in like me—you're just excited for this new series, and you know you you want this kind of nice selection to kind of pick from because there it's two seasons of 65 episodes, so there's a lot um, to get through. But if you're anything like me, I'm I'm kind of excited to go back and, and watch them all now because it, it really is a quality show. But so the episodes that we watched in preparation for this this episode, and feel free to, to jump in at any point, just chime in. Uh, We've got Diamond Ray of Disappearance, which was, uh, according to your notes, Season 1, Episode 1. And I know that's not necessarily the release order there. That's why I I say according to your notes here. But then we've got Teal's Quest, which we talked about, Season 1, Episode 2. Prince Adam No More, Season 1, Episode 15. A Friend in Need, Season 1, Episode 16. The Dragon's Gift, Season 1, Episode 18. And that's the one that you say Larry DiTillo got the job as staff writer for what can you tell me about Larry Attillo?
3: Um So he, uh, Attilio, worked, excuse me, uh, worked worked on uh, a lot of episodes uh, where he was uh, the the main writer for. And then um, uh, I'm trying to think what what did he work on? Um, he worked uh, as as far as like Granemir, like he actually brought Granemir into Master's Universe, and the the Ice Trolls were in that episode as well. Like, okay. those were something that he had written as part of, like, a role-playing game. Uh And then, but he was able to develop them so well in this, you know, 22-minute story um, that it, Granamere became a reoccurring character. Um, they used the same story as a, a mini-comic that, that came with the toys. Um oh, cool. the, the big difference was, uh, instead of a red dragon, they made him a green dragon. No idea okay. why, but...
0: Well. <laughs> Maybe the artists got tired of using red. Or we're
2: running low on. Red
3: <laughs> right. There there was already a, a lot of other dragon themed episodes and, and yeah. red dragons. So they're like, yeah. eh, what it's, else? An,
2: it's another homage to Tolkien with the green dragon. Oh, I thought you
0: were going to say Fin Fang Foom. I was waiting for it. <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> Which who debuted first Grinomir or Fin Fang Foom? I think Fin Fang Foom probably oh, has fin a couple years.
2: Oh, years. Okay. Yeah. That was back in the sixties.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, moving on, we got double-edged sword season one, episode 22. Origin of the Sorceress, Season 2, Episode 12, which uh, we mentioned that was uh, J. Michael Straczynski getting uh, story credit there. Battle Cat, Season 2, Episode 33, which was that uh, Cringer origin story. Tila's Triumph, Season 2, Episode 43. And The Problem with Power, Season 2, Episode 45, which you said kind of serves as the natural finale. To the series in your own particular headcanon, right? Right.
3: So so technically there was there was a few that finished production after that. But as far as what we see on screen, it it kind of it kind of wraps up, oh, maybe that's the end of the story for, for human and Tila. Um mm-hmm. end of the road for them. All right. Well
2: Which by the way, the thing we didn't talk about, I don't even think we really talked about Tila's triumph much. That was another okay. one where everyone gets sent to a different dimension because of he may or Skeletor's Ray. And I right. want to say, is this the only time that Skeletor sits on the throne in Castle Grayskull
3: I I believe so. Um, yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, so he gets in there. So it's basically, uh Tila has to defend uh Castle Grayskull because He-Man, Battle Cat, and and Sorceress all get sent to another dimension by Skeletor's Rays, and she gets sent to defend again, unbeknownst to her, and they keep telling her. Trust us, you'll know one day why you have to def- why you have to be the one that defends Castle Gray And Skeletor goes in there and he's sitting on the throne. Like that's his that's his end goal is to sit on the throne of Castle Grey And he does it in this episode.
3: All right. Now what? Now what do I do?
2: Yeah. <laughs> he man comes back and kicks his butt. So
3: Yeah.
2: Actually Tila no Tila defeated him first. Okay. Yeah, Tila yeah. defeated him and then they somehow. You know, every time they get sent to another dimension, they always end up with the same way of coming back. But they seem to forget. It's yeah. just like, oh, the diamond did it. Crushed the diamond. You know, yeah. Here's the spell to undo the rocks. What's well, a different type of rock now? It's the same spell. Yeah. You know, it's it's plot armor, right? I, I <laughs> defer
0: to your guys' expertise in terms of that being the only time Skeletor sat upon the throne. But Dale did give us a couple of additional episodes as honorable mentions if we had the time, and I did watch one, the Dragon Invasion, and. Even though you don't see Skeletor sit on the throne, it it was a great display of like him actually taking control of of Castle Grayskull. And there was a moment where He Man tried to rush in and was completely laid flat by a, a force field there. And it, it took the combined might of the dragons to to uh, to take back over. So,
3: yeah, it, that's one of those things where you've got this this big villain where you have to make him be pretty formidable foe for your for your hero um, but also you can't do that every single week I guess
2: yeah <laughs> and by the way for ministers when we mentioned that Skeletor is sitting on the throne it's the castle Gray Skull seat of power not the throne that you would might think that someone sits on you know <laughs> so, it's just it was That's weird so kept here and say, Skeletor is sitting on the throne it's like <laughs> hmm, okay <laughs> Uh, I just have to fine. clarify that. It's not that type that's, of chair. That's
0: that's what we have. That's why we keep you around, BBK. Right? <laughs> not, not,
3: not to be confused with the Bone Throne, uh, which is his big chair at Snake Mountain. So which
2: again okay. is a is right. a, is a chair. It's not chair, something it's not a it, toilet. Not it, it, or it's not something else that a bone throne might be used for.
1: Right.
2: So. <laughs> it's a kid's show, guys. Get your minds out of the gutter. Come on.
3: Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, I uh I think unless you guys have anything else you need to get off your well defined pectoral chests. <laughs>
2: <I laughs> where molded, you go with that.
0: <laughs> that we're reusing a mold for an action figure. <laughs> oh. Anyway. Uh anything else you need to say? I I think we'll we'll bring things to a close here, so I'll say in this episode of the podcast, the moral of the story was to watch He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, the original series, in preparation for the upcoming Masters of the Universe Revelations, due to debut on Netflix July 23rd. If you don't have Netflix, ask your parents about getting you a subscription
3: <laughs> to Netflix. Or the password. <laughs> yeah.
2: And another moral to the story is is go to all your places where you find podcasts and search for Source Pages, which is the podcast I do with my friend Haley Hobbs where we discuss comics and novels as continuations and source materials and primers for our favorite TVs and movie shows coming up. We just did one today that should be dropping. Now, this is uh, July 20th. It'll probably be dropping tomorrow. A primer on who is Kang? Who is Nathaniel? Richards, because he popped up at the end of Loki. A lot of people are like, who is this guy? Well,
3: yeah, we talked for yeah. 45
2: minutes about it to try to give you a, a reason. But we do a lot of that stuff too. a lot of uh, uh, anything that's out there in the geeky at, uh, you know, stratosphere that are in book form or comic form where we'll um we'll talk about it. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on SoundCloud and MySpace. And I'm just kidding about this last two. I don't even do their thing, but we're out there. Source pages a reading collective spark for short
0: yeah give them some love subscribe like drop them a review they're a new show but they've already really impressed me with their first couple of episodes so great well, addition you. to the stranded fam stranded panda family and always great to have uh brian be a regular player here and, and get his knowledge and his voice but also dale uh great to have you on did you have anything you want to let the people know about that you're involved in
3: um as as far as talking about um Master's Universe. There's a million different Facebook groups for that kind of thing. Uh, uh-huh. If you want to go to one central source, um, you can always try the, the the forums at HeMan.org. If you want to send me a private message there, uh, I'm HeGuy uh, on the on the message boards.
0: Sweet, sweet. Uh, for myself, uh, we're going to have some upcoming Bingers Assemble coverage for the upcoming James Gunn version of the Suicide Squad. So myself, Matthew Carroll of the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast, as well as Ashley Coffin from the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast, we're going to be tackling the 2016 version of Suicide Squad, as well as Harley quinn and the birds of prey i was going to try and tackle that original title that which was a entire mouthful but i don't even think i can remember the full thing off the top of my head so the emancipation of mimi
2: oh wait that was mariah carey never mind (laughs) that was a way Um, too long of a movie title yeah it was a great movie but way too long of a movie title yeah yeah other than that
0: obviously uh revelations is just around the corner and then what if is about a month away so very excited for that keep tuning in that's t-o-o-n-i-n
2: Thank you for listening to the Animation Deliberation Podcast, a proud member of the Stranded Panda Network. If you would like to contact us, you can email animationdeliberationpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at animationdelib1. For this and other great shows, you can visit strandepanda.com or join the great community that is the Stranded Panda Chat Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash spchat. Tune in next time, and remember, stay whelmed
1: you're invited to take a vacation from everybody else's vacation to a place where you can explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and see a 65-foot waterfall that once powered an old mill that you can walk through today or just float along the cool rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. See the places and plan your journey at visitmississippi.org outdooradventure. Mississippi, wanderers welcome. When it's time to give a truly special gift to that special someone in your life, why not turn to a jeweler you can trust? Solomon Brothers Jewelers is a family-owned business that's earned Atlanta's trust for decades with high quality, low prices, and the largest selection. Solomon Brothers has thousands of wedding bands, engagement rings, and loose diamonds in stock. Shop Solomon Brothers online at solomonbrothers.com, solomonbrothers.com, or stop by stores with locations in Buckhead or Alpharetta and experience the best.